Hey, it's Elahe. You might have seen some headlines lately about layoffs. A lot of the biggest tech and media companies seem to be saying, we have too many workers. We need to cut back. And yet, in a lot of other industries, it's just the opposite. Employers are saying they don't have enough workers. This trend has been puzzling to our executive producer, Maggie Penman. Back in 2021, she reported on the phenomenon of people quitting their jobs. But things have changed in the economy since then. And so more than a year later, it was confusing to Maggie that so many industries were still desperate for workers. Okay, Maggie will take it from here. On a recent Friday night, I was at Atwood's Tavern in Cambridge, Massachusetts, around 10 p.m. The bar was buzzing, live music was just getting started. And the restaurant seemed like a well-oiled machine. Servers had pushed the tables aside after the dinner rush. Staff behind the bar were filling drink orders. The place was packed with a new, young crowd and some of the regulars, too. I had my first date here with this guy. Which was a good first date spot. Oh, an amazing first date spot. It was Bluegrass Monday, Bluegrass Monday. And on this particular night, it was easy to feel like maybe the pandemic never happened. Maybe we just dreamt the whole thing. But Alex Siragu, the longtime manager at Atwoods, says the last year has been a struggle. Unanswered help wanted ads, pulling doubles himself when there weren't enough servers or bartenders to take shifts. In years past, we'd put up an ad, and in the first day, we'd be slammed with responses. Atwoods lost a lot of workers during the pandemic, and rehiring almost an entire staff hasn't been easy. There's a common restaurant industry website in Boston that everybody posts on to hire that we had always been able to hire off of in the past, put an ad up there, a month goes by, no applications. So then he tried networking. You know people at other restaurants and other bars and you start reaching out to them or you reach out to old friends, old people that you used to work with. You interested in picking up some shifts? Are you looking for work? Do you, do you know anybody that might be? And just radio silence. Over the last year, Alex has seen this struggle everywhere he's looked, in the form of help-wanted signs. My wife and I went on a road trip this summer, and one of the first things that we noticed was everywhere we stopped, there was a sign-up in a window. We would sit down at a bar or in a restaurant, and being attuned to, you know, sort of the atmosphere and what to expect, I could look around and see there's one person working here when there should be four. If you have been to a bar or a restaurant or a shop or a hospital or an elementary school or a daycare or a million other places in the last year, you've probably noticed these staffing shortages. And we wanted to know, how is it possible that all of these industries have shortages at the same time? If people aren't working in restaurants or shops or hospitals or daycares, then where did everybody go? In recent weeks, there have been layoffs in some industries, and there's talk of a possible looming recession. And yet, there are still 10 million unfilled jobs. By some estimates, more than 3 million workers are still missing from the economy. Recently, one of my coworkers was on a reporting trip and sent me a picture of a sign outside a taco place. It says, in all caps, we are short-staffed. Please be patient with the staff that did show up. No one wants to work anymore. 
From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Maggie Penman. It's Friday, January 27th. Today on the show, we are taking on that big question of where everybody went. Did people actually stop working or does it just feel that way? Our journey to try to answer this question starts at that bar, at Woods Tavern. So you are the manager here, where we are now. Could you just describe where we are and um, like what, what this room looks like? <laughs> we are inside of Atwood's Tavern. We're in the, the back dining room, kind of in front of the stage. It's a cozy little tavern on Cambridge Street, which is a main thoroughway through East Cambridge. The room is full of wood. It's like being inside of a cabinet. It kind of has like a cheers, cheers bar vibe. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people make that reference. And, you know, we do know many, many people's names. <laughs> I first went to talk to Alex around 11 a.m. on a Friday. Prep work was happening in the kitchen, and everyone was anticipating a busy night. Hi. Let me just check in with them yeah, real quick. Course, Sorry. Course, yeah. Yeah. Atwood's is one of so many restaurants that has struggled to find workers in the last year. There are a million fewer hospitality workers in the U.S. now than there were before the pandemic. And Amelia McGrath is one of those people. She started working at Atwoods in 2017. Well, I think what I really loved about it was all of the regulars. They have this bluegrass night that they do because it's a music venue. And I got really close with the band and all of the regulars. Amelia's story is key to understanding where a lot of the restaurant industry workers went. For three years, on any given night, you could find Amelia waiting tables at Atwood's, chatting with the regulars, serving drinks. I still remember everyone's orders, <laughs> so that'll be taking up space in my brain instead of all the things I need to be remembering every day so <laughs> for the rest of my life, probably. But then March of 2020 happened. Yeah, I remember Alex called me up and he said, we're laying everybody off. Uh, you need to come in today or tomorrow when you can and start applying for unemployment and I'll help you through it. At the same time, Amelia's lease was ending. I mean, the whole situation sort of forced my hand. Like, I, you know, I'm from Maine originally and I've always wanted to move back. It's just I never could quite pull the trigger on that. You know, Portland's a lot smaller than Boston. Just everything felt like, okay, I'm leaving this place where I feel established, have a community here, I have a job I love here, and I'm going home. And I moved in with my parents, and, you know, I didn't have an apartment for the first time in my adult life. I didn't have a job for the first time in, like, 10 years. I, yeah, I felt totally, completely adrift. But as the months went by, she started to piece together a new life. She eventually got a job at a children's museum. Amelia has always been interested in art and working with kids. For a long time, she made puppets as a hobby. But in no world did I think I was going to be <laughs> working in some sort of industry that would allow me to do that. I am still shocked that that happened, but everything sort of just fell into place. And in addition to the creative parts of the job... There are other benefits, like the benefits. Having benefits for the first time, not having to be on Medicaid, 
paid holidays, paid vacations, stuff I've just never experienced before. It's different. It's really different from what I was doing before, but it's a good, it feels like a healthy change, a change that I needed. Yeah. What feels healthy about it? I'm curious to hear more about that. I think I was, I wouldn't say I was stuck because I, again, I I found a lot of meaning in the work that I did in Boston, even though it was food service and say what you will about it. I, I did love what I was doing, but I, I think there was so much that I wanted to try that I was afraid to try. Maybe it was COVID and, you know, people are dying and like I I lost family members and you start to realize how precious and short life is. Amelia is one of the many workers who got laid off early in the pandemic and had to figure out a plan B. And then as the pandemic wore on, plan B kind of started to feel like plan A. And this is part of the answer to our mystery of where the workers went. If you remember back to March 2020, nearly 20 million people lost their jobs almost overnight. This is Abba Batrai, our economics correspondent at The Post. And she says, if you look at the industries where the most workers are missing, where it's been the hardest to hire, many of them have one thing in common. They're the same industries that laid people off early in the pandemic. Places like restaurants shut down, hotels shut down, daycare shut down. And so those displaced workers took a moment to collect themselves and they ended up finding different lines of work. Um, Maybe they went into real estate or they, you know, got a job at an insurance company as an insurance agent. They got secretarial work. They moved into positions that were still hiring. So when it came time for these restaurants and these daycares and these construction companies to ramp back up, they found that, a lot of those workers had found something new and they were simply not available to return. Yeah, and maybe you could talk a little bit more about what were those industries that were still hiring during the depths of the pandemic? What were the industries that were still looking for workers and finding them? Well, it's a lot of what we think of as office jobs. So the official categories are things like professional and business services, which has 1 million more workers than it did before the pandemic. So that sort of tells you exactly where a lot of these... Oh my God, so it's like a one-to-one. Exactly. (laughs) They left restaurants and they went to information work. Yeah, and you know that's sort of a catch-all category for accountants and consultings and insurance agents and just any kind of office work you can think of. Financial activities is another area where we've seen an increase in workers. Alex Sirigu, the longtime manager at Atwoods, wasn't surprised that many people found other jobs while restaurants were closed. Staff in the service industry are actually pretty hungry people and people that want to stay busy and keep working. They're also generally people that live paycheck to paycheck and need that money. And so they're out there hustling, doing whatever they need to do at any given time. And so when they were put out of work for upwards of a year, they didn't just sit home and collect benefits. They found other work and they moved on. So Atwoods faced a new challenge, figuring out how to move forward. Because it wasn't just Amelia who found other permanent work. What I quickly found out was all the people that I used to know that worked in the industry had all gotten new jobs, had all moved on from the industry. So it was pretty clear pretty quickly we were going to be starting from scratch. 
Atwoods was lucky in a lot of ways. The owners of the bar also owned the building they were in, so they could afford to stay closed for longer than a lot of other places. And they had the luck and foresight to use that time to do some renovations they had been planning on for a while. Alex actually stayed on to help with those and learned some new carpentry skills in the process. So the restaurant didn't fully reopen inside until January of 2022, nearly two years after they had to suddenly close. They were able to bring back a few core staff members, but filling out the rest of the team was a lot harder. I think we were in a a really like sort of golden age of the service industry where it was not uncommon before COVID to hire somebody with years of experience. The onboarding and training was minimal. It was just teaching them about our unique space and then they were good to go. Now I'm hiring mostly people that have never worked in this industry before. And so you're not just teaching them about Atwoods, you're teaching them from step one about service, about hospitality, about food about some of them are having their first drinks here. You're teaching them what beer is, you know? And so that's, that's really different. And do you, do you feel like it's changed the service here? Like when you talk to regulars, are they like, ah, who are all these kids? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have heard that exact line. Yes, that is definitely true. And it's changed service, but not, I don't think, for better or for worse. Like, yes, maybe now we have a few more hiccups here and there of, things take a a few extra minutes. So there are longer learning curves, but also back to that enthusiasm and energy. A lot of times with more veteran staff in the old days, like burnout came quicker. Training new workers who have never done this before wasn't the only thing that restaurants had to do. Abba says that businesses have gotten creative. Some restaurant owners have told me that they've stopped serving dinner maybe on certain nights of the week because they heard from their workers that they'd like to be home with their families. Or they're just kind of moving things around, making small changes to make these jobs more palatable for the workers who remain. For Atwoods, that's meant paying people more, encouraging people to take a day off if they're sick, new systems for communication and scheduling, the little things that make a job easier— They are finally pretty much fully staffed, but Alex says not all small businesses will be able to keep up with new demands. That is going to be, that's going to be the rub. It's going to be really tough for places to do that. And we have luckily been able to kind of carve out that spot and do it, but it took two, two and a half years to get there after that closure. And it's still an ongoing process. We're still doing it today, this week, we'll still be doing it next month. And I just consider ourselves fortunate to have sort of pulled it off. So the restaurant industry definitely offers us some clues about where some of these workers went. But the pandemic caused the whole job market to shift. So we can look at other industries to help solve this mystery too. Abba says take retail, for example. Retail even has picked back up all of its lost workers and has a few more than it did before the pandemic. But a lot of those jobs have also changed. They're no longer sort of front of store jobs. They might be sort of jobs behind the scenes supporting online shopping. So it's a lot of work that's now taking place behind the scenes throughout the economy. The fact that jobs in industries like retail are less visible than they used to be might be influencing how we all think about the idea of missing workers which could explain that sign my coworker saw on a restaurant door. We are short-staffed. Be patient. No one wants to work anymore. 
So where did this idea that people don't want to work anymore come from? I asked Nick Bunker about this. He's an economic analyst at the job site Indeed. There was this big surge in, in quitting, the people leaving their job. And I think a lot of people thought, oh, this meant people were quitting work. But what we do know is that the vast majority of people, when they're quitting their old job, is to go take a new one. We're just seeing less of that labor. It's not as visible. It's moved behind the scenes, like in retail. And a lot of people are now working remotely. Here's Abba again. I think that's absolutely right. I mean, I think we go out to eat or we go to check in at a hotel. We go to drop our kids off at daycare and we notice that those places are visibly understaffed. On the flip side, we maybe don't notice as much when there are a dozen more consultants working at a company or when there are more insurance agents sort of, you know, staffing an office. And so there's been this real shift away from the service industry, which is very visible to so many of us. But the mystery isn't completely solved. Yes, restaurant workers found other jobs. Yes, some of those jobs might be less visible. But there are still 3.5 million workers who are missing from the labor force. After the break, Abba and I talk about those actually missing workers. We'll be right back. Hey there, I'm Dr. Maya Shunker, and I'm a scientist who studies human behavior. Many of us have experienced a moment in our lives that changes everything, that instantly divides our life into a before and an after. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I talk to people about navigating these moments. Their stories are full of candor and hard-won wisdom. And you'll hear from scientists who teach us how we can be more resilient in the face of change. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, so if the workers who left jobs or lost jobs early in the pandemic basically have gotten other jobs, they're not the missing workers. So who is missing? When we talk about that number, 3.5 million people who aren't in the workforce, but who we would expect to be, who are the workers who aren't in the labor force right now? I like to break it down into three or four categories. The first category or factor here is immigration. Fewer workers came to this country in the last couple of years. And in some cases, fewer workers are staying. This is a trend that goes back several years, decades even. We've started to see a slowdown in immigration. And a lot of that is because of these quotas and these systems that we have in place for people to legally immigrate for work. Many of those have been stuck in place for a long time. And so there just hasn't been the policy changes necessary to get more workers into the country. Abba says this trend was exacerbated early on in the Trump administration. President Trump ran for office on a very anti-immigrant platform. And so we saw a marked slowdown in immigration early on in his presidency. And then the pandemic hit. The number of new arrivals coming into the United States fell 50 percent between 2019 and 2021. Wow. So that's a lot of people. And what industries have been hit the hardest by this? You know, it's a lot of the same industries that we've already talked about. A lot of service industry jobs. The tech industry has been hard hit. They rely heavily on highly skilled workers from abroad. But it's also things like agriculture, construction, healthcare. All of those are industries where there's a dire need for workers and 
often workers who come into the country sort of not with these highly skilled visas, but through other legal means. And so there's been a real slowdown in that. Is there any policy effort to change that? Or like, I I feel like hearing about this issue, you hear so many employers and restaurant owners and managers saying, we just can't find workers. We're so desperate for workers. And it, it does seem like kind of a natural solution to just say, let's just weigh up the number of people who are coming here. Are there any policymakers who are advocating for that? There is a lot of hope that there will be policy changes to address this, but there hasn't been much action. There was a real move late in 2022 to get something through. That didn't happen. And so it's sort of in this holding pattern now. And I don't think many immigration experts have much hope that there's going to be meaningful reform anytime soon. The next group of people on ABBA's list of missing workers is people who retired during the pandemic. We have an aging population, we have an aging workforce, and a lot of that is sort of what we had expected to see when people reach 65 and retire. There was a spate of early retirements during the pandemic as well, though. People were worried about getting COVID. They dropped out for a number of reasons, maybe to help with their grandkids or because they just thought it would be a good time to take a break and see where things settled. And they had the financial means to do so. People's savings accounts were flush. The stock market was doing well you know, their retirement portfolios were looking good. And so for a lot of people, this became a good opportunity to reset. And although we saw that among Americans of all ages, to some extent, younger workers, younger than 64, have returned to the workforce, but workers older than 65 are still missing in very big ways. And then there's another group on ABBA's list, people who are still juggling care work, whether that means someone is struggling with long COVID and a family member has to stay home and take care of them, or taking care of a young child or a relative who's sick. Care work feels like a chicken and egg problem because if there aren't enough daycare workers, for example, there isn't enough child care. And then without child care, parents or grandparents can't go back to work, thus exacerbating the worker shortage that created the problem in the first place. There's no question that care work is a big reason that people have either stepped away from the workforce completely or have pared back, you know, whether that means maybe quitting a nine to five job and working for themselves or whittling down their hours at work. We don't know the full extent to which child care, adult care, um, sort of caring for sick and disabled family members is playing into the worker shortages that we're seeing. But we do know that there's been a very meaningful impact. Just anecdotally, I know a lot of parents who either can't find a daycare at all, or even if they do have child care for their children, they're dealing with this new reality where, you know, you might have a COVID exposure or your child might get sick and be out of school for two weeks at a time. And so they're having to confront all of these challenges that sort of extend beyond beyond the childcare issues that we already had in this country. Okay, so there is one more notable group that is contributing to this mystery worker shortage, and that's men. And this is maybe the most perplexing one of all. Men's participation in the workforce is down. And that doesn't mean they're unemployed and looking for a job. That means they have stopped trying to look for a job. They're just not working. This trend actually predates the pandemic, too, though it was compounded by it. Since the 1950s, the percentage of men who are working or looking for work has fallen from around 90 percent to just under 70 percent. 
This came up in a conversation I had with Betsy Stevenson. She's a labor economist at the University of Michigan. And she was telling me about labor force participation rates among prime age workers. So basically people who are of the age you would expect to be working. What we see is prime age women's labor force participation has completely recovered. Prime age men's labor force participation has not. In every prior recession, men's labor force participation declines and never fully recovers. This recession was supposed to be different because women lost more jobs than men. So we thought, well, you know, maybe men will bounce back more easily. But it's still the case that women seem to have bounced back more easily than than men have. Yeah, the decline of men in the labor force has been a decades-long issue, and it's perplexed economists for decades. I think everybody I talk to has a different theory, and it's really a collection of theories. Nobody's exactly sure where these workers have gone, but it's it's a combination of many factors. Some of it is things like childcare, like you mentioned. I think men are more willing to step away from work these days than maybe they were a few decades ago to be the primary caregivers in their family. There are also issues like the opioid epidemic and criminal records, which men tend to have disproportionately more than women. That might be an extra hurdle in getting a job. The biggest group where we see this is men without college degrees. And part of why that might be is because a lot of the jobs these men used to hold have disappeared from the U.S. economy. Manufacturing, which used to be a very well-paid career, is not anymore. And so there's been a real evaporation of those opportunities along with automation and sort of, you know, globalization. A lot of those jobs might be going abroad. And so they're just not as readily accessible anymore. I wonder also, thinking about what you mentioned about manufacturing, if there might be some gender role issues that are coming up because we hear about worker shortages in hospitality and healthcare and childcare. And some of those industries are historically more female. Even today, between 80 and 90 percent of nurses and childcare workers are women. And it's been that way for decades and decades. So how much of this shortage of men in the workforce comes from maybe a reluctance to consider available jobs that are in historically female industries? It could absolutely be part of it. And it could also be not so much that they don't want to work in those fields, but they don't have the experience or the skills to work in those fields. And so it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy after a while if, you know, you've spent your entire life working in manufacturing and making a sudden change to childcare can be, can be big. We've talked a lot about what the pandemic has done to the labor market. But the virus itself has obviously had an impact, too. We lost people to COVID. And there are many people who are suffering from long COVID and might be unable to work. But even as I was looking back over what's happened over the last few years, I started to feel like the ground was shifting beneath us. Again, Microsoft plans to cut thousands of jobs across different... Cutting 12,000 job shares are higher... They've been laying off workers by the hundreds or even thousands. Layoffs. We've started to see them in tech, in media, in finance. So what does that mean? Will worker shortages soon be a thing of the past? Instead of help-wanted signs in every window... Will businesses soon be turning workers away? 
I asked Abba what she thought. There was some data out last month that showed that small and medium-sized companies had actually added hundreds of thousands of workers, while larger companies had laid off hundreds of thousands of workers. And that really goes back to sort of this tight labor market we've been in in this post-pandemic era for so long, for so much of the last year, there's been a real war for workers and larger companies have won that out. They were able to attract these workers with fancy titles and fancy pay packages. And I think it just kind of got to a point where some of them realized, wait a minute, maybe this isn't sustainable. I think we might've overhired, you know, the economy might be going south. Let's sort of preemptively um, fix things while we can. Uh, but small and medium-sized businesses haven't come to that point yet. They're still hurting for workers and they are happy to take in some of these workers that are being laid off by the bigger companies. And so that dynamic is still very much at play and we don't really know where the dust settles at the end of this. So maybe the supply and demand of workers will sort itself out. Maybe all of the small businesses will be able to hire the workers who are getting laid off from the bigger businesses. But it seems like there's a mismatch between the workers who will be looking for jobs and the jobs that will be available. Layoffs in tech don't necessarily translate to people looking for jobs in the service industry. Just like manufacturing leaving the U.S. doesn't translate to those workers pivoting to childcare. A little over a year ago, I reported a story about people who quit their jobs during the pandemic. And it was honestly inspiring, because it felt like, for the first time in a long time, we were talking about workers having some power, a little bit of agency. I told Betsy Stevenson, the economist I spoke with, that now I'm feeling a little bit depressed. Because just over a year after talking about people demanding more from work— this new kind of worker empowerment, we're already talking about layoffs again. I think, you know, what is perhaps a little depressing is that it's going to take more than a tight labor market to cure inequality. And that's because inequality is deep and entrenched and is not simply about inadequate competition among employers for workers. It's hard to tell whether a year from now we'll be talking about layoffs and a recession or wage growth and millions of job openings. But either way, there might still not be enough workers, at least in certain industries. Because so many of the trends we're talking about, immigration, an aging workforce, a lack of childcare, are deep and entrenched. I texted Alex this week about catching up, and we made a plan to talk on the phone again. And then he texted me and asked if we could postpone. He said, perfectly in line with this story, having a mini staffing crisis today. I'll be pulling double duty to fill in the gaps. This episode was produced by me and Arjun Singh. It was edited by Rena Flores and Ariel Plotnick. It was mixed by Sam Baer. Thank you to Allison Michaels, Martine Powers, Lucy Perkins, Renny Svernovsky, Abba Batrai, and Damian Paletta. The music you heard from Atwoods at the top of the show is from a band called Mosaic Mirrors. We'll include a link in our show notes if you want to check them out. 
The Post Reports team includes Rena Flores, Ted Muldoon, Martine Powers, Alahe Azadi, Lucy Perkins, Eliza Dennis, Alana Gordon, Ariel Plotnick, Arjun Singh, Jordan Marie Smith, Rennie Svernovsky, Sabi Robinson, Emma Talkoff, Sean Carter, and Renita Jablonski. We'll be back on Monday with more stories from The Washington Post. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening.